1: This Intelligence Squared podcast is supported by Audible.com, a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. The Intelligence Squared audience now has the chance to try Audible by downloading an audiobook free. One title you may consider is The Origins of Political Order from Pre-Human Times to the French Revolution by Francis Fukuyama. To download a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash debate. That's audiblepodcast.com slash debate.
0: Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Being American and talking about politics and all, I sort of feel that the theme of tonight's program should be intelligence halved. Um, (laughs) um, I myself am working on a a new theory of political science. um, And instead of basing my theory on on the work of deep political thinkers, uh, John Locke and Thomas Hobbes and John Stuart Mill, I'm basing my theory on a dumb game uh, played during all-night giggle sessions at girls' boarding schools. Um, my wife uh, uh, told me about this. The game is called, that is to say, the polite thing to call it is Kill, Snog, Marry. Uh, what happens, the girls pick three men, a set of three men, and they go around the room, and, and each girl has to decide which one of the three she'll kill, uh, which one she'll hook up with, as the kids say these days, and which one she'll settle down with uh, for life and raise a family. And I, I, I think the example my wife gave was Brian Jones, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards. Kill Brian Jones, moot point. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> have an affair with Mick, every woman has. Um, and uh, marry Keith and inherit, because how long can he possibly have? <laughs> <laughs> so... You know. um, and I'm laughing, and I'm laughing, but th- but then it struck me as you know, kill snog marry. That's politics. That that is how we pick the presidents of the United States. I mean, if you take for instance the 1992 presidential election, uh, 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 George H. W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Ross Perot, and kill Ross Perot. You know, I mean, uh, 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 we could hardly avoid a snog from Bill. Uh, you know, and, and we marry kindly old. Uh, George H.W. Uh, uh, of course, the outcome of the game is not a foregone conclusion. Uh, witness America's mysterious elopement w- uh, with Bill instead of its church wedding w- w- with George. In case of the 2000 presidential election, America was pretty much evenly divided about whether to screw Al Gore or get screwed by George W., um, although I think everyone in the U.S. was uh, uh, agreed on, on killing Ralph Nader. Uh, um, I won't Venture any examples from more recent elections for fear of attracting attention from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, but this works on your politics too. I mean, for ages, ages, it was either kill Tories, marry Labour, screw the Liberals, you know, uh, or 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 kill Labour, marry Tories, and screw the Liberals. Uh, And and now you you seem to get all mixed up and and engaged in one of these European type menage a trois. uh, Because, you know, know, coalition government is just inconceivable in America. I mean, it it, it would violate the shipping company rule of do not pack the dog with the cat, would be one thing. (laughs) And besides, we only have two parties. We only have two parties, and we had a coalition government. We we would be left with no one to hate but ourselves, you know, and so that just wouldn't work. So anyway, Kill, kill Snog, Mary. Got, got me thinking. The game works on the institutions and, and policies uh, of, of government as well. I mean, you killed your House of Lords. You got in bed with the IRA. Your royal matrimonies are very entertaining. Uh, you're, you're screwing your social services, uh, vowing to love, honor, and obey your banks, and national health kills you. Um, <laughs> Kill Snog Mary. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good tool of political analysis um, because... In the free and democratic countries where we live, politics is a sort of three-legged stool. It's a kind of tripod of power, freedom, responsibility. Kill Snog Mary. And also, Kill Snog Mary is a good tool of political analysis because we're so passionate about our politics. And how do passionate affairs end? in a passion, usually, in a crime of passion sometimes, and occasionally they turn into the stable, permanent legal arrangements, which is to say the endless peevish quarrel known as marriage. So how should we approach the political institutions of our free and democratic countries? Do we overthrow them with violence? Do we, do we mess around cheating on them while they, while they mess around cheating on us? Uh, or do we try to build something that is lasting and boring, worthy, And annoying, marvelously virtuous, and at the same time dreadfully stifling, a marriage. Power, freedom, responsibility. Kill, snog, marry. So when I first began thinking about politics, when mastodons and Richard Nixon roamed the earth, um, I was obsessed with freedom, the snogging part. Uh, I I had kind of a messy idea of freedom at the time, and and the hippie girlfriends to to, to prove it. Uh, But I had a very tidy idea that freedom was the central issue of politics. Now, I loved politics. Uh, many young people do. Uh, uh, kids can spot a means of achieving gain without merit. You know? uh, and, and I think this kind of explains, don't you think, it, the, 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 the reason that the professional politicians retain a certain youthful zest, you know. Uh, Teddy Kennedy, uh, he was the boyo right down to the, his last aged, disease-racked moment. You know? Now, I was wrong I was wrong about the lovable nature of politics, but I was sure I was right about the preeminent place freedom should have in a political system. But there are lots of definitions of free, 36 of them in the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language. Uh, Plenty of people are, are, are theoretically in favor of freedom. We are all but overrun with theoretical allies in in, in freedom's cause. Uh, We have got collaborators in the fight for freedom that we don't even want. I mean, the proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. That's the second to the last sentence of the the Communist Manifesto, and there's a a creepy echo of it in the pop song Me and Bobby McGee, as you remember. Um, (laughs) Mao announced letting a hundred flowers blossom and a hundred schools of thought contend is the policy. Half a million people died in that definition of freedom. And we should keep in mind that the original definition of the word free in English is not in bondage. I mean, the most meaningful thing about freedom uh, is mankind, uh, uh, mankind has a sickening history of slavery. Now, in our countries, we have freedom because we have rights. But the same way we can get mixed up about freedom, uh, we can also get mixed up about rights. There are two kinds of rights. Uh, Isaiah Berlin uh, 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 christened them positive rights and negative rights. I call them gimme rights and get out of here rights, you see. Now politicians are always telling us about our gimme rights, but the American Bill of Rights, which is essentially a a, a distillation of of British common law, doesn't mention any gimme rights. The, The Bill of Rights, is all about the American freedom to say, I've got God, guns, uh, that's the American part, uh, and, a, and a big damn mouth, and if the jury finds me guilty, the, the judge will pay my bail. I mean, this is a get-out-of-here right. Uh, you know, our right to be left alone, our, our freedom from interference, usually from government, but also from our, our fellow citizens sometimes when they want us to sober up and, and, and quit yelling and put the shotgun down and go back in the trailer home. Um, <laughs> now... Politicians, in their hearts, are always lukewarm supporters of -of get-out-of-here rights. I mean, for one thing, all legislators are being invited to get out of here. Uh, For another thing, strict adherence to get-out-of-here rights uh, would leave little scope for legislating, something legislators dearly love to do. Uh, Gimme rights are, 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 are more politically alluring. And this is how, in modern democracies, we find ourselves tempted with the, the right to education, the right to housing, the right to health care, living wage, high-speed Internet access, three French hens, two turtle doves, a partridge and a pear tree. You know. Politicians show no signs of even knowing the difference between get-out-of-here rights and give-me-rights. And, and blinded by the dazzle of anything that makes them popular, they honestly may not be able to tell. But when rights consist of special privileges and positive benefits, rights can kill freedom. Wrong rights are the source of abusive political power. Now, it was years after I first got interested in politics, before I realized that the central issue in politics is power, not freedom. Kill, not a roll in the hay. Only an idiot wouldn't have seen that, and I was one, but I wasn't alone. Leftists, moderates, e- e- even some conservatives considered the sweeping gimme rights created by a half century of social welfare programs to be extensions of freedom. Uh, people were being given the freedom to, you know, not starve to death and so on. And, and, and this wasn't a purely evil way of looking at things. And not all the social welfare programs were bad. But the electorate, the candidates, and me, uh, failed to properly scrutinize uh, uh, the, the social welfare programs now it 's not that we failed to examine whether the programs were needed or unneeded or well or poorly run. What we failed to look at was the enormous power being taken from people and given to politics. We let freedom be turned into power now the the, the baby boom uh, was, was was you know particularly. Uh, 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 egregiously at fault uh, uh, with this thing Uh, 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 and politicians have been very careless about promising uh, uh, the gimme rights and and, and cynical about delivering them Uh, uh, and gimme rights in turn we in a baby boom have, have found them to be absurdly expandable the government gives me a right to get married Uh, This indicates that I have a right to a good marriage. Otherwise, why bother giving me the right? Uh, My marriage is made a lot better by my children's right to daycare so that the brats aren't in my face all day, you know. Being deprived of their right to a nurturing developmental environment, you know. Every child has the right to a happy childhood, so I have the right to happy children. Richer children are happier. Give me some of Angelina Jolie's, Now the expense of all these rights makes politicians happy because they get to do the spending. I mean, even get out of here rights aren't free, they entail a military, a constabulary, a, a judiciary, uh, and a considerable expenditure of patience uh, uh, by our neighbors when they want us to sober up and go back in the trailer. But, but but gimme rights require no end of money and money is the least of their cost. Every right means the transfer of goods and services from one group of citizens to to, to another. Now, the first group of citizens loses those goods and services, but all citizens lose the power that must be given to a political authority to enforce that transfer. And we didn't, or we didn't want to, understand that power. And as I said, this is particularly true of people my age, 60s generation, baby boom. Uh, and, And it was obvious, it was obvious the way we in America... The way we reacted when politicians attempted to use their power to limit our freedom by drafting us into the war uh, in Vietnam. We fought the establishment. We fought the establishment by growing our hair long and dressing like circus clowns. <laughs> our reluctance to pay attention to the real issues of power resulted from the fact that we had some. I mean. Freedom is power, after all. And when it came to freedom, we members of the 60s generation, we were full of it. We were the first middle-class majority generation in world history. We had all the varieties of freedom that affluence provides. Plus, we had the other varieties of freedom provided by relaxation of religious convictions, sexual morality, etiquette, and good taste. I mean, the institutions that enforce prudence and restraint had been through a world war, a depression, another world war, and Elvis, and and they were tired, you know. (laughs) And we were allowed to fall under the power of our freedoms, and we powered through them, you know. And 60 years on, we're still at it, letting not age, saiety, tedium, or erectile dysfunction stand in our way, you know. And yet always at our back we hear this nagging thought that with power comes responsibility. Kill, snog, marriage. And we don't want that. I mean, has there ever been a generation, a society, a civilization, more determined to evade responsibility? And the answer is probably yes. I mean, ancient Romans... Sliced open animals, rummaged around their kidneys and livers, trying to divine fate and, and, and avoid owning up to the consequences of empire and toga parties. You know, the Greeks were forever running off to hear the irresponsible babble of the Oracle of Delphi, the David Frost of her age, You know, I mean, uh, maybe the Egyptians had an opera barge on the Nile where deceased pharaohs could fall to pieces and promise to become better mummies. You know, I mean. Uh, nonetheless, the '60s generation has an impressive record of blame-shifting, duty-shirking, unaccountability, and refusal to admit guilt, or better, to readily confess to every kind of guilt and then announce that we have moved on. A gigantic generational not-my-fault project has been undertaken with heroic amounts of time, effort, and money devoted to... To psychology, psychotherapy, sociology, sociopaths, social work, social sciences, science, chemistry, the brain, brain chemistry, serotonin uptake re-inhibitors, inhibition, sex, sex therapy, talk therapy, talk radio, talk radio personalities, personality disorders, drugs, drug addictions, uh, internet addiction, uh, economics, central banks, the EU, IQ, DNA, evolution, abortion, divorce, liposuction, Tony Blair, and diagnosis of attention deficit disorder in small boy. You know? I mean, when, when I started thinking about politics 40-some years ago, I shouldn't have been thinking mainly about freedom and power, about sogging and killing. I should have been thinking about that march down the aisle responsibility. Too late now. I mean, I'm a child of my era. And, and speaking of the 1960s, I, I just wanted to give you one slogan from a 1960s poster that never, ever existed Responsibility to the people. I am trying to imagine my self-righteous, angry activist comrades and I on the barricades with our fists raised yelling, responsibility to the people. Now, of course, the best way to have a good political system is to avoid politics, Uh, but political disengagement deprives us of opportunities for yelling at politicians and pushing them around, and this is occasionally useful and always fun. Uh, In a democracy, unlike in a dictatorship, we don't get in trouble by trying to make politicians mad. Actually, we get in trouble by trying to make them like us. See, our political systems go to hell when we want politicians to give us things. Now, there are certain things we may reasonably demand of our political system, of course, but most of these things are get-out-of-here rights. And often it's the political system itself that's violating these rights most sensible request we make of government is not do something, but quit it. As for our gimme rights and the goodies we expect to gain with them, we're getting politics mixed up with Halloween. (laughs) And and politicians don't mind. They love devising programs of of incentives and disincentives for for the electorate. Uh, A trick-or-treat, you know. And, you know, ghouls and goblins political system, that's actually fine for those among us who are truly scary, you know. But for the rest of us, don't be surprised if we go house to house, White House to House of Representatives, to Houses of Parliament, and ringing the doorbells as furiously as we may get nothing for our begging but healthy fruit and vegetables. You know? If there is something we want, politics should not be our first resort, Politics is all taking, no making. You know, I mean, politics is what economists call zero sum. Zero sum being when there's a fixed amount of something, and, and 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 what 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 you take is what I lose. You know, now the real world, for the most part, is not zero sum. We can make more things. Uh, we can make more money. We can make more food. We can make more babies. We can make more energy. Although that sometimes entails making a mess, as you may have noticed with BP Gulf oil spill, but. Politics is zero-sum. Even in the most free and democratic country, politics is, as I've said, about power. And there is a fixed amount of power because there's a fixed amount of me. And power you have over me is power I lose to you. And, And also political power is different from other power because political systems are different from other social systems. Political system has the legal monopoly on deadly force. Now, we're all involved in a variety of social systems, such as that bunch of social snobs with their system of blackballing us at the golf club. You know, I mean, they're allowed to ban us from the tees, but they aren't allowed to pick us off with sniper fire from their clubhouse bar. Eh? <laughs> the government can, you know. Nothing sums up zero sum like death. Because government is zero sum, we have to be very careful about giving power to people who run the government for their own sake, uh, uh, among every other reason. Because when we try to get that power back, it's never pretty. You know, I mean, Washington at Valley Forge, Paris during the reign of terror, massacre of the Tsar's family in Russia. Nonetheless, we are continually tempted to give power to government. So government's a big tool, mighty in its operation, nearly irresistible in its movement, never mind that it doesn't know where it's going. And there's a temptation to use a tool like this when something needs fixing. Now, whether the tool suits the task isn't a question that we always ask ourselves. There is something in the human psyche, particularly, I may say, in the male human psyche, uh, that makes us love big tools, possessed of a big tool Man feels a compulsion to use it, and we don't need to go to Dr. Freud, for examples. I mean, give a man a high-power, cordless electric drill, and you'll get holes all over the house, you know. I mean? In the 1940s, shortly after that very big tool, the atomic bomb had been employed on the Japanese, uh, there was a proposal, in all seriousness, to use atomic bombs to blast a new sea-level canal through the isthmus of Panama? Mm-hmm. They were actually thinking about doing that. Men are dangerous when they have big tools. Power of any kind is dangerous, and government power particularly so. Uh, To put the case differently, government is a Rottweiler ready to be unleashed on your problems and you've stuffed raw meat down the front of your pants. (laughs) (laughs) Now one method of being careful with government power is to think about our messy government the way we think about our messy personal lives. You see, they're furious ex-spouses, bitter former lovers, various outstanding child support payments. We don't want too much of this all in one place, which is why we're moving to Australia. Um, America's founding fathers knew enough about messy personal lives to make sure that the American Constitution contained federalist decentralization of power and a system where each branch of government would check and balance the other branches of government. Because what if all the ex spouses, the former lovers, and the kids whose school fees were supposed to be paying, what if they all became friends and all got the same solicitor? You know, Americans' founding fathers would have rather moved to Australia than let something like that happen, you know. It's a good idea for as much government power as possible to be distributed to the smallest possible units of government. Um, John Sununu is the former governor of my home state in, in, in America, New Hampshire. And he was also chief of staff to to, to the elder President Bush. And and, and John Sununu, he's a very cranky guy, um, but also a very truthful guy. And and furthermore, he's an engineer. And and he compares reliance on local government to to a goal of mechanical engineering, which is called short control loops. See, the hot and cold taps uh, in your shower are short control loops. Now, if instead of being located in the shower stall those hot and cold taps were in the cellar, Uh, that would be a long control loop. Now, not that a short control loop always works. Uh, You may be out of hot water. Uh, But it's better to stand in the shower fiddling with a useless tap than to march naked and dripping through the house, you know, amazing the children, shocking the charwoman, you know, down two flights of stairs into the grungy cellar and fiddle with the useless tap down there, you know. If my neighbor on the local sewer commission votes to raise my sewer rates, I can go next door and yell at him and stuff a potato up the tailpipe of his car. (laughs) Stuffing a potato up the tailpipe of the limousine of the President of the United States is a federal crime, or or, or they'll make it one if I try. Now, despite the common sense of short control loops, uh, we're, we're, we're deaf to the argument. When something's wrong, we don't consult the sewer commissioner next door, even if what's wrong is backed up sewage. Uh, I, what I do instead is I go straight to Washington and bypassing even the House and the Senate, expect the president himself, you know, to take time off from trying to get his limo started and, and come over to my house with a plunger, you know. Then this costs a fortune. Uh, Thirty years ago, the economist Milton Friedman, in his book Free to Choose, uh, he showed uh, why government is so expensive. Um, because Freeman explained that there were, logically considered, there are only four ways to spend money. Now, way number one is you spending your money on yourself. Now, let's take cars as an example of something to spend on, and me as an example of someone doing the spending. Now, 20 years ago, I bought a Porsche. Lovely Porsche, still have it. Uh, I I got a great deal. Uh, I got it almost new from a dentist who had scared himself in the car and bought a Lexus instead. Now, when you spend your money on yourself, you get, as nearly as you can, exactly what you want, and you bargain as hard as you can for it. Way number two is when you're spending your money on someone else. Now, you still bargain hard, but you're not quite as concerned about getting exactly what's wanted although I'm sure my wife is very fond of the Yugo I got for her and the (laughs) kids. Way number three is you spend someone else's money on yourself. And I'm on the fence between an Aston Martin DBS coupe that goes for, I think, about 200,000 pounds and an Alfa Romeo 8C spider convertible steel at 130,000 pounds. Way number four, you're not involved at all. It's not your money, and nothing is in it for you spending other people's money on other people. So it might as well be billions spent on crap or as the US government called it cash for clunkers, you know. <laughs> and way number 4 is the way that all government spending is done. You know, politicians work themselves into a lather proving the benefit of this government spending. And using political logic, I can prove, I can prove anything. I can prove that shooting convenience store clerks stimulates the economy. <laughs> Jobs are created in America's high paying domestic manufacturing sector at gun and ammunition factories. Uh, uh, additional emergency medical technicians, security guards, healthcare providers, and undertakers are hired. The unemployment rate is lowered as job seekers fill new openings on convenience store night shifts. And money stolen from convenience store cash registers stimulates the economy where stimulus is most needed in low income neighborhoods where the people who shoot convenience store clerks go to buy their crack. You know? <laughs> you know. Considering all the good that it does, I'm just simply flabbergasted that everyone in the US House and Senate isn't smoking crack and shooting convenience store clerks this very minute, you know? Now, expensive politics is bad, power of politics is bad. But nothing is as bad as the brain of a politician. Oh, ha, 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 you say, what brain? (laughs) Alas, it's worse than a joke. You know, I mean, taken one by one, politicians are of dull, normal intelligence. But when you put politicians together in government, you get committees, committees. We've all been on committees. We know what happens to intelligence and common sense when a person becomes a committee member, committee brain. You live in a neighborhood with a playground. Kids in the neighborhood would like to play tetherball, but the playground has no tetherball pole. Committee is formed to raise funds for tetherball. Committee to raise funds for tetherball, CRFT. CRFT is started by a group of pleasant, enthusiastic, public-spirited neighbors. The minute any of these neighbors become a member of CRFT, he or she will begin to express his or her pleasant, enthusiastic public spirit by turning into one of the following. The Martinet. We have to draw up a charter, form a non corporation with a chairman, a president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, development officer, and human resources executive. And the tetherball pole has to be exactly 3.6 meters high in accordance with International Amateur Tetherball Association rules. The dog in the manger. We need to get permission from the county zoning board, city council, parks department, adjacent landowners who may complain about tetherball noise. That part of the playground is too damp for tetherball. Maybe protected wetlands. Can't do any fundraising without advertising. We can't advertise without raising funds. Kids would rather have a tennis court. The person who is stupid, even by committee brain standards, so the rope has a ball on the end of it. The warrior, padded pole, breakaway tether, lightweight foam ball, ban on playing after dark or when visibility is poor, and when the sun is shining to avoid UV rays, skin cancer damage, and the kids should wear helmets and knee pads and safety belts. <laughs> The person with ideas. Let's set up a challenge grant to erect a second tetherball pole in the inner city. Midnight tetherball could be an alternative to crime for deprived youth. You know? <laughs> we can also promote tetherball as a way to combat child obesity, which would make us eligible for funding from the Gates Foundation. Uh, we'll, we'll have a tetherball league. No, three. Adults, juniors, and tether tots. And this could be a great college resume thing. You know, If our daughters are varsity-level tetherball players, uh, they'll get into Harvard. You know? The person with ideas none of which has anything to do with tetherball. Is the tether biodegradable? Is the pole made from recycled materials? Many playground balls are manufactured in third-world countries using exploitative child labor. Let's be sure to utilize organic fertilizer and indigenous plant species when seeding the tetherball play area. The bossy person who says the same thing as everyone else on the committee, only louder. Uh, the person who won't shut up, who says the same thing as everyone else on the committee, only more often. Um, the person who won't show up, unless his or her vote is crucial, in which case he or she shows up and votes the wrong way. And you you actually do all the work. Uh, You call 40 people, you ask them each to donate 10 pounds, half of them do, you raise the 200 pounds needed, only to find out you need 200,000 pounds because the government's Economic and Educational Opportunity Committees, Select Committee on Opportunities in Physical Education Subcommittee on Persons with Disabilities, requires all tetherballs to be wheelchair-accessible no matter how high the tetherballs fly in the air. Now, given complete dominance of politics by committee brain, the wonder is that anything gets done, and the horror is that it does. I mean, What a government accomplishes is what you would expect from a committee. A camel is a horse designed by a committee. That is a saying that could not be more wrong. A camel is a seeing-eye dog designed by a committee and available free with government grants to people who can see perfectly well but who can't walk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet, and yet committees are ancient and ever-present in our civilization. I mean, Moses goes to a business conference with God, and the next thing you know, Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, the people gathered themselves together. You know? And somebody says, all in favor of worshiping a golden calf. You know? Same thing with the Roman Senate, all in favor of relinquishing power to Caesar, then stabbing him. You know. Again, in the boardrooms of Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, and every bank in Ireland, all in favor of investing in loans to people who made loans, to people with houses that aren't worth spitting on if they catch fire. Man. <laughs> committees persist, although their decisions are inevitably stupid. Um, therefore, committees obviously have some value. Uh, they must be good for something, and, and they are. You know, in the Anglo-American political systems, we owe our freedom to a committee, the jury. You know, our governments have that legal monopoly on deadly force, and the one thing that prevents our governments from forcing us into prison or onto the gallows, you know, any, any time they like, is the need for a jury verdict. Our governments cannot inflict any punishment or penalty upon us unless what we have done is so obviously wrong and outrageously bad that even a feeble-minded, asinine, muddled, stubborn committee that never agrees on anything agrees, you know. But that isn't really much consolation, actually. Almost the only good point about politics. Fortunately, there is a way, a way out of this kill-snog-mary conundrum of politics because tr- true freedom, true power, and true responsibility are actually individual matters. And, and the greatest source of, of our individual freedom, our individual power, and our individual responsibility is in our economic system. Uh, economic freedom is the freedom we exercise most often and to the greatest extent. Uh, freedom of speech is important, if you have anything to say. I checked on the Internet. Nobody does. Um, <laughs> freedom of belief is important, if you, if you believe in anything. I, I've watched reality TV. I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> Freedom of assembly is important if you have an assembly to go to, the way we do, but most people go shopping. You know, and, and, and while they're shopping, they're exercising economic freedom. We have this cow of economic freedom. Now, we, do we take this cow to market and trade her for the magic beans of bailout and stimulus? I mean, when we climb that beanstalk, we're going to find a giant government at the top. You know, And, and are we going to be as lucky as Jack in the beanstalk was? Because I'm not sure Jack himself was all that lucky with his giant killing, you know. Jack the Giant Killer, that's Jack's version, you know. My guess is that Jack spent years being investigated by giant subcommittees, and now now Jack's paying a giant tax on on his beanstalk bonus, uh, and, and his salary is being determined by a compensation committee that's 40 feet tall, you know. Free market is not a creed or an ideology that classic liberals or American Tea Partiers or the Austrian School of Economics or, or Ayn Rand fans, uh, it, it's not a creed uh, uh, that people are expected to take on faith. Free market is simply measurement. I mean, a free market tells us what a given person is willing to pay for a given thing at a given time. That's all the free market does. Uh, the free market says it's a bathroom scale. You know, no, we may not like what we see when we step on the bathroom scale, but we can't pass a law making ourselves weigh ten stone. You know, and leftists believe that we can. The Free market only gives us one piece of information, but it's important information. We ignore it at our peril, uh, the way the leaders of the old Soviet bloc did. No, they lost the Cold War not because of Margaret Thatcher or Ronald Reagan or Star Wars missile shields. They lost the Cold War because of Bulgarian blue jeans. Yeah. Free Market was attempting to inform the Kremlin that Bulgarian blue jeans didn't fit. They were ugly, ill-made. Nobody wanted them at any price. People wouldn't wear Bulgarian blue jeans, literally not to save their lives. But the Kremlin didn't listen, and the Berlin Wall came down. Yeah. And it's just one problem, however, with escaping from this the, the, the kill snog merry of politics. Uh, escaping from this is, going to, this is going to deprive politics of all its tools and instruments, of all its ways and means. If we were to succeed in getting people to quit killing, stop screwing around and taking the troths they've plighted in life seriously, there would be little room left for politics. So how would politicians be able to give us our rights to three French hens, two turtle doves, a partridge in a pear tree. How would politicians be able to make things fair? How would they be able to make things fair? All over the way? and you know this actually may be a valid concern, but I am immune to it. I am immune to it because I have a twelve-year-old daughter. It's not fair. That's all I hear. It's not fair. It's not fair. All my friends have an iPad. You let my little sister. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And one day I just snapped and I said to her, honey, you're cute. That's not fair. You're smart. That's not fair. Your family's pretty well off. That's not fair. You were born in the United States of America. That's not fair darling, you had better get down on your knees and pray to God that things don't get fair for you. Um, that's everything I know. Um, but, uh, but if anybody has any questions, I'll make up some other stuff. Okay? So, um, I think what we're going to try and do, if I can get somebody to bring the house lights up a bit, and, oh, good, there are people here. <laughs> I, was, I was worried. You know, I heard a little laughter and a little applause. But, you know, you know some people are very good at making that sound big. You know, and, and I thought it might just be distant cousins. But they can't afford to leave Ireland now. <laughs> we're, we're safe from that lot. Do we have any questions? There's, sir, there's one right in the front row. Now, there are, allegedly, there are microphones. I don't know anything more about... Oh, there they are. Supposed to be responsible for these besides me. <laughs> Surely there's a responsible personality. here. I don't just throw the thing, you know. someone could get hurt.
1: You take that. I will. Um, I would just like to ask you whether in uh, your judgment Sarah Palin is going to run for president, and if so, can we be confident in our belief that she's wholly unelectable?
0: Well, uh, to answer the first part of that question, yes, wholly unelectable, well, well, you never know. Uh, I'm torn. I'm torn over this issue because on one hand, I'm a political journalist, and what could possibly be more fun than Sarah Palin running for president? (laughs) On the other hand, I'm a Republican, (laughs) and she's gonna lose. Uh, you know, really, honestly, you could run Hello Kitty, you know, if it weren't for the, uh, uh, the the problem with Hello Kitty being a Muslim and probably not born in the United States. But, uh, 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 um, uh, and beat her. Um, uh, and it, will she prove to be unelectable? Yes, yes. She, she just doesn't, you know, you, you, there has to be conservatism of any kind uh, or, or pr- perhaps, you know, I, I should say to this audience, I should say, you know, classical liberalism. Uh, what we in the United States call libertarianism. Uh, and I consider myself to be a libertarian, somewhat conservative bent, because I have children and don't want them to do the things that I did. Um, uh, or at least I don't want it to be legal. <laughs> um, not that it was legal when I did them, but uh, you know what I mean. Um, but the, uh, 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 it's not an easy sell. It's not an easy sell. You're basically getting up on the stump as a politician, and you're saying, I can give you less. You know, whatever it is that you want from government, I can give you less of it. In fact, in in some cases, I can give you none whatsoever, you know? (laughs) I mean, imagine the kind of truth-telling that goes into the ideal libertarian, classical liberal candidate, who would be a person who would would get up on the stump and say, no, I can't fix public education. I I can't fix state schools, as you would say. Uh, The problem's not overcrowding. The problem's not overfunding. The problem's not teachers' unions or or lack of a computer equipment in in a classroom. The problem is your damn kids, you know? (laughs) That's hard to do, you know? So you either have to have a situation where everything is so screwed up that you're willing to elect Margaret Thatcher, you know? Um, or you have to have somebody who has such charm in his ability to say these terrible things, like Ronald Reagan, you know, that that, that that can pull it off. But whether it's Margaret Thatcher or whether it's Ronald Reagan, they have to have some substance to them. They can't just be a dumb, angry broad, you know. And, and, uh, you know um, so, there goes my ambassadorship. <laughs> Um, let's see, smack in the middle there. Oh, just to make it hardest as possible on the, on the microphone person. I'm just a kind of test of microphone person will and skill. She's saying, no, can't be done. <laughs> it's ridiculous. People who sit all the way in the middle of the aisle like that, you know, I don't know, they got here too soon. They show no common sense anyway. Sir? Uh, there was a headline in The Guardian in an interview with you recently, which was uh, titled, The Right Winger, It's Okay for Lefties to Like. Um, two, two things spring from this. One is, uh, do you think your message doesn't get across? Uh, in, because I can't understand why they would like you. Um, or, although That I, may be the or, secret, Although yes. I do. Um, but the uh, other part is, uh, in order to maybe make sure that there are lefties here who don't like you, You alluded to the Tea Parties very briefly. Is there anything positive you could say about the Tea Parties? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, actually, the Tea Party is an interesting phenomenon. I mean, political elite of Europe, including this country, has agreed that entitlements have grown too large. It's agreed in the sense that the scope and size of government has has, grown. Grown um, uh, uh, too large, and and they're going about reducing it, doubtless in the worst possible way. I'm sure that you know the first thing that will be cut will be the cheapest and and, and, and most pleasant, uh, 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 least harmful uh, sort of government spending. Uh, you know that will somehow leave the the um, um, uh, you, know the, you know how it will go. Uh, you know how it's going right now already. Uh, but anyway, the political elite in, in, in Europe has agreed. Meanwhile, the political elite in the United States has been saying, oh, no, no, government isn't nearly big enough. We need much larger entitlements, you know, especially with all these people about to get really sick and old, you know, and, and really, really expensive. Let's make sure that we just lavish money on them, you know, without means testing it at all. And um, a lot of Americans are going, no, wait, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, it just doesn't, doesn't seem to be, like, making much sense, you know, to spend way much more than you have. And so the Tea Party, at its base, uh, and at its sort of diffuse populist level, is kind of people being their own Sarkozy's, if you will, you know. <laughs> and, of course, acting just as nutty as Sarkozy does, you know, I mean, in their way. Um, it is... A big tree, and we say in America, a big tree attracts squirrels, you know, so it definitely has that element uh, uh, to it. And, you know, I'm a journalist, uh, so I understand that when you go to a rally uh, of of 50,000 people, you don't talk to the 49,999 who make a reasonable amount of sense, you know. You find the person wearing tinfoil on his head to keep the CIA, you know, from stealing (laughs) his brainwaves. But... um, yeah so I think at at the root of this of this and it 's hardly a movement it certainly isn 't a political party it 's kind of a natu- kind of a national attitude kind of a mood is that these are ordinary people trying to deal with this 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 entitlement program. Uh, That over here, and so you know, it's kind of an interesting comparison between America and and Europe. In America, uh, as so often is the case, things come from the bottom up uh, rather than the top down. You know, and there's a sense—not so much here in this country, in fact, really not here, uh, because we are kindred systems—but there is a sense among in continental Europe and in most of the free and democratic places of the world that freedom has been granted to people, and we say no. We allow certain representatives of us to have a certain amount of power over us for the sake of good order and good sense and, 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 and so on, and defense and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, uh, we, we, we've always had our freedom. We give a little bit of it away to make our society work, where a lot of people around the world feel you know, their freedom was granted to them, so they get the top down, so you get the Sarkozy's, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, not, uh, I don't find the, the Tea Party particularly disturbing. That's not to say individual members of it aren't, you know, barking mad. You know? I mean, of course they are. Yeah. Sir?
1: Uh, you claim to despise all politicians. Uh, who would you snog, marry, or kill out of Benjamin Franklin, Mahatma Gandhi, or Nelson Mandela?
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> mm
0: got to marry Nelson, although it didn't work for Winnie. <laughs> I'd kill Gandhi, you know? I just, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know? That nonviolent shit just gets under my, you know, under my skin, you know? Mahatma, it's the 40s, they got Nazis, you know? This is not the moment for that, you know? I mean, you know, wait till the, you know, wait till it's like the, the, the early 21st century and they got a rock and then be nonviolent. Okay. You know, not, not in the 1940s, you know, so.
1: <laughs> this Intelligence Squared podcast is supported by audible.com. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash debate. Whatever happened to shame in politics?
0: Ooh, whatever did happen to shame? I think it gets you a big contract on TV. Uh, we, have, we, have this, we have this governor of New York State, you may have heard the story, Elliot Spitzer, client number nine. Yeah, I mean, it was consorting with women of the evening, and, um, uh, uh, which would be, you know... Uh, it's not, you know, not a hanging crime. But on the other hand, he was the attorney general in, in New York State that had, that had launched a huge campaign to get rid of women of the evening. So, <laughs> so he had it coming, you know, and um, he gets caught. Now he's got a talk show. You know, he's on MSNBC with his own talk show. It's like, you know, uh, you may again have heard of, of this case of fellow Juan Williams on uh, N- uh, uh, NPR, you know, our, our version of our sort of like junior BBC light, you know, that we have in the United States. So Juan Williams says something about being nervous when he sees a person in, in, in Muslim garb on an airplane. Then he apologizes, you know, so he says, you know, I, sh- I know I shouldn't feel that way, but I just kind of can't help it. And M- NPR just like fires his butt. And, um, uh, which I thought was dumb, but, you know, whether it was dumb or not, then the, within the day, Fox News gives him a $2 million contract. <laughs> and, um, I'm going, I'm on NPR sometimes. I'm like, they're like, they're one Republican, you know? It's like they had this big meeting. They said, we can't get one Republican. And somebody said, can we get a funny one? I mean, sort of, you know, it's, I mean, you know, one that's funny on purpose, at least a little bit, occasionally. Um. <laughs> And so anyway, uh, uh, I'm not that funny, but by Republican standards, I'm hilarious. So <laughs> um, they got me. And uh, so I, I go on uh, this little quiz show that we stole from BBC show, the way we steal all of our shows at NPR from BBC shows. And, uh, and I, I just told the audience, I said, I am here tonight with a mission. You know, my mission is to twofold, is to say something that will get me fired by NPR and that will also get me a $2 million contract with Fox. And, and I have the first half of this nailed. You know, I can think of any number of things that will get me fired from NPR. Um, but I'll be damned if I can think of the thing that will get me the $2 million contract with Fox. That's where shame went. They, you know, it went, it, it, it went out for rent. Shame, shame in politicians is the rent boy of the, uh, of, of the 21st century. So, you know, on, on the aisle, actually close to the microphone person. Uh, thank you. Um, so Slightly personal question, but I noticed at the start of your new book, you very kindly reference Christopher Hitchens, and I know he's been uh, moderately polite about you, and given that he tore into you in the 90s and you blacklisted him also in the 90s, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that's changed. Um, well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, Christopher and I were friends. I mean, we're not terribly close friends, but I've, I've, I've known him for a long time. And, and, and um, uh, we were friends when we disagreed violently about everything. And now that we agree about most things, we're somehow still friends. I don't know how that, you know, that, that, that happened. You know? I mean, he's just an engaging person, nothing like a five-hour lunch with Christopher. You know, uh, you, know you can sort of forgive him for... Um, 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 I, I, I promised that I would never let him know whether I'd prayed for him. You know? no, not, you know um, but uh, no, it's interesting because he was worth always worth talking to. He was always worth talking to. Even when he and I were far more separated in the political spectrum, and I, and I think, you know, if we were to, uh, Christopher, contrarian that he is, I'm sure if we were to sit down and talk right now, we would still find ourselves poles apart on a variety of different issues, but, but even when we were completely, uh, 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 you know, 180 degrees, he was always worth talking to. Uh, Another person like that, uh, not not as well known over here. I don't. uh, I think uh, Michael Kinsley was the editor of uh, the New Republic for years, and he's one of the people who started Slate. Michael's very left wing. Always worth talking to. You know, we would get into it about regulation, and he would say, uh, "PJ, you like French wine?" I said, "Of course, I like French wine." He said, "You like really good French wine?" I said, "Well, I do when other people are paying for it. You know, I'm very fond of it." And he said, "Well, you know what makes that French wine so good?" He said, "It's government regulation." You know, And, and Point taken, you know. I mean, if all government regulations worked out that well, I'd be, you know, voting Democratic. You know, a... <laughs> they don't. I've had American wine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. There. Thanks. Evening. Um, what do you think will happen when the people of your generation retire and want their golf memberships paid for by the state And people of our generation will be presented with the bill. (laughs) You're going to be really mad, but there are more of us. (laughs) And You know how we all gave up smoking and became vegans and all the rest of this stuff? We're going to stick around forever. We're just going to live in modern medicine, you know, I mean, and and it's going to be, you know, like, I'm... I uh, was born in 1947, so I'm pretty much lead edge of, 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 of the baby boom. I'm 63, um, and uh, so uh, I, uh, you know I'm kind of high mileage. I might not do it, but there there are a lot of us who are going to hang around until there are 100, and, and you're you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know,
0: I don't know what the hell is going to happen.
1: Hi, um, you, uh, you say you're a Republican. Um, you've got a Democratic president. And in his first six months in office, he managed a quadruple deficit. Sounds a bit like Gordon Brown. Yes. Um, but he has done some good around the world. Now, would you kill Snong or marry Barack Obama? <laughs>
0: well, uh, I hope that there won't be another term, you know, so that I really won't have to decide that I can simply delay, you know, and a sort of Fabian, being a sort of right-wing Fabian and simply delay the decision. Has he done a lot of good around the world? I think to be proven, uh, I think. You know, may- maybe, 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 not. I, I'm not I'm not positive. I'm not a great Obama hater. I mean, I just think that he's... Possessed of excessive self certainty and um, not much of an ear for what the um, um, public uh, um, uh, you know thinks and he, he carried he, he came into office with a very ambitious uh, 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 domestic political agenda um, which he forced through in a way that was um, um, was um, kind of unpleasant to watch and and um, i mean for instance the the, the health care reform in the United States doesn't actually... It's a 900-page bill, which means no one has read this bill. They passed this bill, and they're just now finding out what's in it. They go, we, we what? <laughs> Who put that in there? You know, it's like, well, some over-caffeinated 23-year-old aide. you know, staying up all night. You know, a, you, know, my, my, you know, my cat gets, you know, free vet care for life. And... Um, you know, the whole thing was a, is is question-begging, you know, uh, sort of thing. Because, you, get, you know, it's insur- this is, we're talking about insurance here. You know, when your house catches fire, do you call the insurance company? No, you call the fire department. You know, what we're worried about here is treatment, you know. We'll figure out how to pay for the treatment if we live. If we don't live, the hell with it, you know. So, uh, you know, he was kind of like backing his way into... Um, uh, into a, you know, if you'd come to the American public with a straightforward plan for, for single payer health, that would have been one thing. But he didn't. This was just sort of backing in. He has, he has a big agenda and kind of a semi-sneaky way of doing the agenda, and it's ended up ticking off people in the United States, uh, which you could see from the midterm election results. And um, uh, uh, it, it remains to be seen whether he's nimble enough to, um, uh, you know, to. Uh, Clinton faced the same problem, and he, he, he danced his way out of it and found himself a new problem. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> as he was continually doing, but you know, that was. Uh, let's let's hear from someone back in the audience. We've gotten to sort of front of the audience, the type of student that always sits right up front, you know. Uh, Personally, wasn't one of those. You've told us you don't like Sarah Palin, and notwithstanding the fact you're not an Obama hater, who do you think might take it away from him in 2012? Well, I think if the Republican Party has any sense, and in its prior nominating um, uh, processes, it has not shown um, that it has any sense, um, I mean, for instance, Clinton was extremely vulnerable at the end of his first term. And it's kind of like the Republican Party went around the country searching for the one person who absolutely couldn't win against Clinton, you know. And, you know, they they were going through all the sort of available Republicans going, no, no, not old enough, you know. (laughs) Not stiff enough public speaker, you know, you know, moderately interesting. Oh, you can half understand what he's saying, you know. He won't do but, but uh, assuming the Republican Party is at all smart about this kind of stuff, there are uh, at the moment uh, at least four good governors, and generally speaking, being a governor is pretty good preparation. It's kind of like being a mini president, and so it's a good. You know, it's, it gives a person a lot of administrative. Uh, our states are large and they're populous, and and. Uh, um, um, and, and we have some some pretty strong governors out there. So so there there is uh, um, some depth of bench uh, for the Republicans should they choose to use it, which they probably won't. You know, they'll probably run McCain again. You know? <laughs> yes, back over here. Um, I'm not a big reader of your work, so I apologize, and maybe I'm the only one in the room that doesn't know the answer to the question. but um, I, I don't I, read them much myself. <laughs> no. I know how they end. I public. agree with the analysis of the huge increase in size of government and the decline in individual freedom that's resulted. But I didn't hear a lot of what is the solution? What, are you, you know, what do ah, we do about it? Ah, there you have hit upon the beauty of being a political journalist. All I have to do is flip on the lights and watch the vermin scurry. I don't have to step on them, you know, not somebody else's job. Now, God, you know, I don't know, you know, I, I, and, I, I, you know I, and I, you know, even if I did have, I suppose I have a few ideas rattling around about, like, you know, what we could do better and so on, but it would be such a damn dull book to write, and I have a feeling a damn dull book to read, and probably I'd be wrong about a lot of stuff, or, you know, it'll all be incredibly stale in six months, It's much more fun to point out the trouble that other people make, you know, than it is to try. And, and, and that leaves us open, of course, to the, uh, to the uh, uh, criticism of always tearing down, never building up, you know. But then it's sort of like market, modern architecture. Look around you. A lot of tearing down needs to be done. You know? <laughs> building up, I suppose. You can leave that to, to other people. But gosh, there's a lot of... Uh, everything built in this country between 1950 and about three or four years ago. I Everything's mean, like 1950 through the Millennium Dome. You know, could stand tearing down, you know. No, you know, I mean, I, I'm not about to stand up here and defend the way American cities look, either. You know, I mean, we got really... Uh, uh, and, of course, it, it, it's, it's weird because these incredibly dull buildings that they built in the 50s are now mid-century modern, and they're preservation movements. And I had this friend of mine years ago, dead now, unfortunately, who said... He said, PJ, if we live long enough, we'll hear somebody saying, they're tearing down all the great parking lots. (laughs) (laughs) And I I sort of feel that, that, honestly, there have been cases in New York where they've been defending these these sort of god-awful. Yeah, so, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Back in the middle, sort of.
1: Uh, I just thought you said about four or five good um, governors... Uh, who maybe you've got your eye on for president, would they have to uh, change the rules about being born in the U.S.? No. For no. one of them.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm certainly not talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, no. No, I, uh, really I'm not. You know, I mean, there's, uh, you know it's, uh, I, I'm talking about people who are uh, uh, as, yeah, I mean, my personal, I mean, you know, one of the things, is, it's, it's, I, I have tried over the years uh, not to get to know politicians the best I could. I mean, you cover them. They are likable. I mean, it's their job. It's their job to be likable. And, and when they wish to be likable, they're generally quite likable. And so you meet them, and you start to like them, and then, and then you have trouble taking the mickey out of them, you know. And so I just think it's a good idea to, 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 to keep some personal um, uh, uh, length away. I had this problem with John McCain. I didn't think John McCain was a great candidate for president. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he was, God, this, you know, going through this awful prison experience, And, uh, uh, and, and, and I knew him, you know, I, would known him for years, uh, uh, just not uh, socially, not, not, not because of my job. And, um, and I knew that he was a really soft hearted guy and they'd helped out a lot of people and he was just personally a really, you know, a good guy. Then I went out on an aircraft carrier and I saw somebody land a jet fighter on an aircraft carrier. And I thought, shit. How could you not vote for that person? <laughs> this is the most amazing thing I ever saw I now. Mean, you imagine the guts that it takes to do that thing at night? you know I said out there at night in heavy seas, a sea's heavy enough, they were coming up over the bow, like like 30, 40 feet uh, 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 you know splash from, 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 from and people are landing jets on this thing. And I think you know one of them run you 've got to vote for them, sort of I mean geez, you because know, i 'd never have the guts to do that you know? anyway, you want to keep a, a a distance on them. Uh, and um, so I don't, you know, want, they, they, there are a couple of them I happen to like, but that's, you know, probably not, and they're very obscure. There are people like Mitch Daniels, governor of Indiana, you know. I mean, it there are names that would mean nothing, uh, probably to most of the American public uh, 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 yet. Uh, uh, and yet, you know, they, they, they've all done, you know, good jobs, or at least so far. Will the coalition government endure? Will your coalition government endure? No. <laughs> No, it's not because um, you know. I mean, you, you got like um, these guys really don't like each other. No, I mean it's basically that simple. You know, I mean, I get what would what, what, what that bishop say the other day? I give it seven years for the marriage. Uh, I don't give it anywhere near seven years. You know, I give it. Uh, I yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, you know, when when you have friends that you you know the man and you know the woman and they really don't like each other, but for some reason they get married. You know, <laughs> do you think that's going to last? You know, I mean, it just it just doesn't doesn't really make any sense. You know, unless I, uh, uh, unless I'm really under, uh, misunderstanding the Liberal Democrats, I, I had I had seen. I can imagine uh, it's easier for me as an American to imagine a labor uh, Liberal Democrats uh, uh, coalition. You know, I always thought of Liberal Democrats as sort of labor light. You know, or labor lab, labor without the really stupid unions. You know, I mean, you know, just, just some of the stupid unions, not all of the stupid unions. You know. Um, or something like that, but I really don't see that they uh, uh, so something's terribly wrong either with the Liberal Democrats or or or, or with the Tories or with both that they, they think this marriage is gonna last. So um. Sir. I do it myself, yes Come out. Oh how did the Oh it worked and did you win? yeah I mean it didn't work. Nothing works with a 12 year old of course you know I mean but I mean it did stop her in her tracks for a moment. you know it worked well enough i you know I, I, of course she immediately reverted to, to the it's not fair behavior but 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 that line of argument it worked on other parents because other parents heard about it, I think from her telling her friends, and they 've been using it, you know. <laughs> So no, it didn't actually work on the child, but it made me sort of locally famous. <laughs> <laughs> I was having wisdom about child rearing, which is, I thought, was quite unlikely. Yeah. Sir, you talk about the distinction between legally criticizing something, and actually making, actually changing things. How do you feel about the media now, center, now, frankly? I don't feel very good about the comedian uh, now Senator Al Franken. I I, I don't get the, uh, I don't get that conclusion. Uh, I mean, I don't get that, that whole uh, progression, uh, career progression. You know, I mean, Washington had plenty of clowns. It wasn't like they really needed to outsource on this. Um, it was like, you know, I mean, we had, there's this rally uh uh, john stewart and stephen colbert you know this rally on the mall you know rally for nothing much or something i don't know you know i just you know i don't i I don't quite get it and and franken is also one of those people who um um it's um um uh how how do you know that someone went to harvard they tell you (laughs) and um my wife and I have a little sort of competition about that, you know, a little little sort of, not a competition really, but a little sort of, is how soon they tell you, you know. Franken would manage to get this out before the personal pronoun, you know. Harvard I went to. <laughs> so. Sir. The freedom of the press and of the press. Yeah, freedom of press versus invasion of privacy. Of course, actually, it's getting harder and harder to make a living in the press. I'm all for invasion of privacy because there actually is some market left for that. Um, morally, <laughs> to, to separate my, to compartmentalize my life, you know, uh, stepping outside the journalist box. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, tough call. Uh, but I'll tell you this: You who have much stronger uh, 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 laws about invasion of privacy uh, 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 than we do, actually seem to do more of it. So go figure. Uh, but, none, but 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 the, but the upside of of this is that you have all these wonderful phrases to protect you from liable suits that we don't have in the United States and I, I miss them. You know, as a lover of language, I just miss phrases like overtired and emotional, you know? <laughs> we just say drunk. <laughs> you know, or friends say he needs rest. <laughs> A particular favorite of mine. So I think you know the, 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 the net benefit. You get the uh, 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 the, the, the net net benefit. Um, uh, I, I would give to you on uh, on, the, on the greater privacy rules. The uh, the danger is, of course, and it's not a danger particularly here in Britain, but it is a danger in um, some of the newer democracies in Eastern Europe. Is that the liable laws can be written in such a way as to make it very easy for the government to charge people with slandering the government essentially. And there's quite a lot of this goes on in places like Romania and places like Bulgaria. Uh, uh, I'm not sure about um, um, uh, Ukraine, but I know that this has been a a, a serious problem uh, uh, in Eastern Europe, so so it's the... I, I generally favor the privacy over the press freedom um, with always with the, the proviso that you keep in mind that the laws not be framed in such a way that they can be be um, used to um, suppress dissent. Mm-hmm. Sir? Yes? Um, well, we mentioned one really and Sarah earlier. I'm wondering if you think the news network that they both work for will take money from, if it's good. Um, was, we're talking about Fox here, about uh, the, the news network, that, uh, uh, which is uh, you know a, 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 a sister network to your, your Sky News, actually. Um, you know, we had this long tradition in the United States of uh, media outlets, especially when we only had three television networks, of, of media outlets uh, uh, pretending that they were nonpartisan pretending that they had no ideas, you know, and no ideas and proud not to have them, you know. I mean, we, we're open-minded here. We just not a thing in our head, you know. Uh, and now, in the first place, that was obviously bullshit, you know. I mean, they, 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 they had, they, they, they did have political bias, uh, biases, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and how much was gained from their not owning up to them. Um, I'm kind of a, a great believer in knowing from which direction the wind blows. I mean, then you can allow windage. You know, I mean, you, you, it's. Uh, I, I would rather know whether uh, uh, the uh, a newspaper or a television station uh, uh, or a radio station, you know, is owned by uh, a lunatic communist or a raving Nazi or something. I'd like to know that, and not have them sort of pretend that you know they're that they're being fair and balanced, to coin a phrase. Um, but. Um, so I don't really don't mind. After all, it's the way your newspapers have been, you know, time out of mind. I mean, no, everybody knows where the Guardian stands, you know, and I mean, it, it's, you know, and, and that's good, you know, that's a, that, that, that's a good thing to know. So I think the net effect has been positive. Does uh, it have a lot of silly, specific results, like, you know, hiring Sarah Palin? <laughs> yes, of course. You know. Is it feasible that uh, Obama might face Um, a challenge for the Democratic nomination in 2012, and if so, by whom? It's, um, uh, under our system, uh, it is generally thought to be a suicide mission to challenge a sitting president for the uh, nomination. And and the reason for that is that your uh, uh, prime minister is really just the head of the party organization that has the majority or something close to the majority in, in, in your parliament. Uh, whereas our uh, uh, president of the United States is is only titular head of the party, but is a head of state on a par with the queen. And so it becomes, this, this, this person has a great deal of uh, independent patronage power, a great deal of independent prestige Uh, a a life of his or her own. And so taking a run at that person, it's not like trying to toss out uh, uh, the head of a party organization. It becomes a much more complicated procedure. The classic case here for political science buffs would be um, Senator Kennedy's attempt to get the exceedingly unpopular Jimmy Carter um, uh, to take the nomination from him in 1980. And um, it's only a tes- it's testimony to uh, Kennedy's will and his money uh, uh, that uh, that he had any political life left in him after that. But but you know even Teddy Kennedy, uh, uh, who had lots of uh, of support and and, and 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 tremendous connections within the party, uh, he wasn't able to do that. Uh, I, I suppose Hillary Clinton would be a similar example. Uh, I don't think, I think Hillary Clinton would rather wait uh, 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 than make that, unless things go terribly, terribly, much wronger for Obama even than they went for Carter, which is not something I would wish on my nation. So um, uh, generally speaking, you know, um, uh, things are plenty wrong enough as they stand, I'd say. Over here.
1: As a European woman, it's hard to believe that every time you have a presidential election, abortion is an issue. Would you please elaborate? You are even a Republican, I understand.
0: Well, I mean, abortion is an issue in the United States. You have to understand that we are, unlike Europe, we are a religious country. The majority of Americans are religious, and the majority of religions are not keen on abortion. Uh, there are various Protestant denominations who, uh, uh, you know, for whom, you know, consider it to be permitted. Nobody, no religious person, considers it to be a good thing, and 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 many of us religious people consider it to be a very grievous sin indeed. Uh, whether the uh, uh, um, um, here we come up against a very larger, uh, a larger, uh, to me, really important uh, uh, point. Um, to What extent? I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic, and I consider abortion to be a sin, and I consider it to be wrong. But I say to myself, uh, what if something happened to one of my daughters? What if it was rape? You know I might kill that baby. I will kill the boy.. <laughs> yeah. You know, when is this the government's business? And and this is like, you know, you cannot, the government, the thing about law is that law has to be exact or we won't know what the law is. Scariest part of dictatorship is not bad laws, but not knowing what the law is. The scariest part of really bad governments, places like North Korea, Zimbabwe, is arbitrary power. We must know what the law is. Therefore, the law has to be exact. And among the things it has to be exact about is when is somebody alive and therefore given the privileges and protections of citizenship, and when is somebody dead and not? I mean, And there's a big debate about when people are dead. Is it when the heart stops? Is it when the brain stops? You know, is it when the Social Security payments stop? I don't know. You know? <laughs> uh, you know is it when, when the kids take their car and their house? You know? <laughs> you know? um, so there has to be an arbitrary decision. I happen to think, although I believe abortion to be a sin, I happen to think that the arbitrary decision that we have in place now in the United States is is probably as as good as the law can do in exactitude. Basically, first trimester of a woman's uh, uh, pregnancy—I don't believe that there's anything other than a woman's pregnancy—but you know what I mean. Uh, The first (laughs) trimester of a pregnancy—it is the woman's own business what happens. Last trimester of the pregnancy there are a lot of restrictions on abortion in most places in the United States varies a bit from state to state in the middle is that horrible in the middle part that nobody can quite figure out but i mean somewhere the government has to stop even even i think and i think america's abortion opponents need to face up to this fact about the fact that ro- the law cannot be identical to morality we wouldn't want the law to be imagine all Ten Commandments made into law. Honor thy father and thy mother, you know. My kid would get the chair, you know. I mean, <laughs> it just, you can't make the law identical with, uh, uh, but, 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 I mean, that, anyway, incidentally, I have a fix for the whole abortion debate. Uh, I, I, don't make it legal. Don't make it illegal. Make abortion retroactive, <laughs> kid gets to be 18, still a bum, whack. (laughs) Gone. That's my particular fix. Thank you. Would you just explain to this largely British audience what the Americans' objection is to the National Health Service, and what's your own particular opinion about it? Um, Not the British National Health Service. The British National Health Service. No, 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 I'm talking about the American introducing it to America? Well, we have a a model next door. Uh, We don't uh, don't look at your health service uh, particularly closely because you're a long way away. But we have a model next door uh, in Canada, and Canada has had a great deal of trouble with their national health service. And among the problems that they've had is losing doctors to the United States and also losing patients to the United States. I mean, people come down from Canada to get medical treatment when they can afford it. Uh, because the Canadian system is, uh, Can- I spend a fair amount of time in Canada every year, as my Canadian friends tell me, it's a great system if you're sick enough. If you get sick in Canada, get good and sick. You, know? you have a heart attack, have a big heart attack. Because you know? if you just need a knee replacement, it could be decades. So we have this model next door um, that you know, and we just basically can't figure it out. Uh, 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 we want a health system that is absolutely first rate, and we want to make sure that we have a health system that people are not beggared by. We don't want, but you know, as it stands, there's a kind of a, a misconception uh, in some places uh, 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 here uh, that Americans will go without treatment because they can't afford it. This actually almost never happens. Uh, in fact, there's a law against it. If you go to a hospital in America, they have to treat you. And it doesn't matter whether you have a 9mm gunshot wound or a nose cold. They have to treat you. It's the law. And then they have to figure out how to pay for it. Uh, The the main problem we face in the United States is there's a class of people not poor enough to qualify for the the, the free medical care that we give to poor people, not old enough to qualify for the free medical care that we give to old people, and not rich enough to afford medical care, especially for chronic illnesses, in between. Um, when I was being treated uh, uh, at a at, uh, at, um, uh, hospital in, in, in New Hampshire two years ago, uh, I thought, well, you know, we, we waste no experience as journalists, so I thought I, I'll, I'll do a piece about this. And I went to the hospital staff, and I said, well, I've got good insurance, and, uh, and I you know, have a little bit of money in the bank anyway. Uh, am I getting better treatment um, than I would get if I came in here broke? And the people at the hospital said... Um, Uh, He said, our our doctors uh, and and nurses, the rest of our staff, have no idea how you are paying for your medical treatment or if you're paying for the medical treatment. And I said, well, what happens when somebody comes in here and they don't have insurance and they don't have any money? And the the, the hospital guy said, it's our experience. He said, we have a whole department devoted to that that very problem. And he said, it's our experience that um, almost 80% of the people who, um, uh, uh, who, who, who are having problem paying for their medical care and do not have insurance and aren't covered, actually have some sort of coverage somewhere from a, a town charity fund or from some fraternal organization that they belong to because they're a veteran, because they fit this category. He says, nearly 80%. I said, well, what do you do about the other 20%? And he said, um, we don't like to talk about that uh, because uh, we have to keep the lights on, but we just give it to them. And he said, you know, last year we gave away $20 million worth of, of, of medical care. And uh, he said, you know, we are, uh, as most hospitals are in America, a charitable institution. You know, and that's, you know, part of our mission is to make sure that, you know, we don't, we don't advertise this because we don't have people coming in here, you know, and like uh, just, you know, asking for... He said, and we work out, you know, we have the programs, we work out long-term payments, we have, you know, all sorts of, of, of things that they do. So what the American system is, is, inc- is nightmarishly complex. Needs to be simplified. Definitely needs to be improved. But it's not a system that. Uh, I mean, if somebody goes without medical treatment in 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 America, it's almost invariably because some other social pathology is involved. I mean, what, maybe not in them, because it could be their parents. You know, that, that are doing this, or their uh, or, or their children failing to. You know, take. Older people to in for the proper care. Conceivably, it could be utter ignorance also uh, about public health issues. Uh, but generally speaking, there's, when a person completely doesn't get medical care in the United States, it has to do with social pathology. Um, but but it is you know it is a, 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 a the system does need work. Um, but uh, um, uh, w- many of us in America, a large number of us in America, were upset about at the way. President Obama was going about uh, trying to create some different system of payment or some different system. The other thing is, you know, I get cancer. I said to myself, do I want a rich cancer doctor or a poor cancer doctor? Ooh, I think I'll go for a rich cancer doctor. It means he's probably cured some cancer, you know. People come back, you know. When they get more cancer, <laughs> repeat. You know, send friends, send relatives. You know, poor. You know, some guy's got like a storefront cancer clinic. You know, it's sort of you know, it's, uh, uh, with, with kind of like pasted uh, on. You know, cancer treated here. You know, maybe a little neon light, hands out flyers. You know, on the street. Didn't think so. You know, so we. You know, that's another aspect of of, of, of you know, which is just American. It takes a million years to become a doctor in America. You've got to go to every kind of school you can think of, and then some, and then be an intern, and so on. We want these people to be well compensated. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and, and we worry that a national health care system wouldn't, would result in there not being, or only some of them being well compensated. Sir? If Sarah Palin is mercifully unelectable, when will there be a woman president of the United States? Well, uh, you know, to to go back on what I said a little bit, you know, if Obama screws up enough, it may get Hillary, you know, I mean, uh, I think pretty soon. Uh, It it so happens. Um, um, But I think it's just kind of luck of the draw that that none of the stronger candidates uh, around at the moment, at least on the Republican side, are women. Um, But that could change very fast. Uh, I think, you know, uh, America's... Way ready for that, you know. I mean, it's it, it is not an issue. I mean, you know, the fact I got to say one thing about the Obama presidency that I, I just, you know, I, you couldn't help but feel that it was cool. I mean, I'm old enough to have, you know, uh, have, have lived through the times of the civil rights movement and when people were getting lynched, you know, for I mean, getting lynched over like sitting at lunch counters, you know, not being president of the United States, you know, just going to the same school, you know, using the same drinking fountain I mean, people were actually getting killed over these issues, and the racial anger in in the United States was bubbling, you know, I mean, and and not just from whites, you know, I mean, yeah, there were whites going around in the bedsheets and stuff, but there were also, like, blacks were rioting in cities and burning stuff down, it was scary, it was angry, it was bad. And uh, to see America within what, uh, I guess it's actually been a while, you know, but it seems like to me, you know, it seems like last week, to turn around and elect a black president, that's a very cool thing to do. I mean, that was just, you know, totally, you know, I was right there with Michelle Obama, you know, I'd be proud of this country, um, that I didn't like him, you know, I mean, it's like, I, you know, <laughs> like a whole other issue, you know. I mean, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I was all for a black president. And I just wanted Clarence Thomas, you know. But um, <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, still, it was, uh, and, and I don't think that's even an issue in, in, in the United States anymore. Shall we take one more and call it a, call it a take, because someone needs a drink. Okay. I see some, s- oh, Clive! How are you? Right. I'll shake your hand so, later. You? I just reminding you, I am, because although we've known each other for years, and it's a while since we've seen each other, and although you look exactly the same, my features have been destroyed by old age. (laughs) PJ, there's an issue I have to raise, because if I don't, we'll all walk away from here unable to believe that it wasn't raised, and that is about Iraq. President Bush has just published his book here, and he's contending, among other things, that in the long term his decision to invade iraq is going to look better than it does now do you agree with that well yeah cuz how could it look worse <laughs> 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 um, i got you know i i i, I was completely uh, i i got to say i was Deeply confused about this issue myself Uh, because I had covered the Gulf War and I had been in Kuwait and I had seen what the Iraqis had done to Kuwait. And I was absolutely no doubt in my mind um, that then my friend Charlie Glass, who's out here someplace uh, uh, this evening. Oh, Charlie, there you are. is uh, uh, Charlie had uh, been up in the Kurdish uh, regions of uh, uh, of of Iraq and uh, and I knew other people that had been in the Shiite regions of Iraq during the suppression of that uh this is like a bad guy and the Ba'athist party was just a really bad organization and they were thugs you know I mean they 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 they, they were Nazis without like the cool art direction you know was basically what they were you know and so uh, I, so I was like, I was basically all for whooping this guy, you know. But then I was also there, and you know, I was in Baghdad about you know a day or two after Baghdad fell, and um, uh, and um, the water's not running. You know, this is a city of a million. Some people I don't know how many people were actually in there by the by the end of the war, but you got a couple million people will say. Uh, the water's not running. There's no electricity. But, I mean, mainly, this is a desert country. The water's not running. Uh, the sewers are backing up. Uh, um, and so the United States came in and conquered this country with with dispatch, and I wasn't particularly against that, but when I began to see that we, we, we obviously were not adhering to the you-break-it-you-bought-it policy. Uh, 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 you know, and when I, when I got to Baghdad, people weren't that unhappy to see us. They were a little leery, uh, understandably enough. Everybody dressed like, you know, the the uh, uh, you know the guys on the Death Star in Star Wars uh, uh, all around all over the place uh, and uh, um, but they weren't hostile. I walked around Baghdad with uh, no no armor on, uh, uh, with no gun, no nothing, you know. And I got a you know I got a couple of sneers, I got a couple of smiles, I got a couple of blank stares, you know. I mean, uh, but it wasn't. Um, um, but then it quickly, very quickly changed, and so I think that the real um, he would go round and round forever about whether it should have been done. Um, but I don't think there's any doubt that there was a bad man there. And he had, you know, he didn't, it didn't turn out he had the bad things, but he certainly had resources. He was a bad man. He'd done a lot of bad things. Would he probably do more bad things? Yes. Did he have, like, sons to carry on doing bad things? Yes. And did he have the resources? Like I said, yes. And, and and, and uh, um, um, uh, you know, he was no loss, but the way it was handled, uh, uh, and, and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying all that as, a, as an argument in favor of the war. It may have been strategically or tactically a very stupid thing to do, but it wasn't like me killing Mahatma Gandhi, you know, <laughs> just outright bad. You know? But the, the, the way it, the war was conducted, and especially the aftermath of the war, and, 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 of course, we saw it in the immediate... I'm not saying there wouldn't have been any uprisings against the American presence if we had come in with an adequate amount of food and been able to get the water and the electricity and so on running, but I think it would have been a very different sort, sort of aftermath. It was so, so completely screwed up. I was with um, a... Uh, Little unit of um, uh, uh, they, they were great. They were they they were national guardsmen, and um, you know they were sort of like 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 your, like your home guard militia types. And they were all from Chicago, and they were all plumbers and electricians and policemen and firemen. They all had practical skills, uh, and they had some doctors too. And they'd all been in the National Guard for a long time. You could tell because everybody in the unit was a colonel. You know that's the way you keep people in the, the National Guard. I don't think there was a sing- anybody below the rank of colonel uh, in the entire unit. And they were just a great bunch of guys. And there was an airport. There was a village right next to the airport, and these guys all came. You know, they they only had they didn't have that much to do really. Uh, And and, and so they they descended on this village, and and they managed to get the village well going again, and they were trying to get the electricity hooked up, and they didn't have the equipment to do this. They had the skills to do it, but they didn't have the equipment, and they scrounged around the airport to find equipment. And they they broke into the storage areas in the airport and they found a lot of medicine and they found somebody, you know, to read the labels in in, in Arabic so that they could treat people with, you know, find out what the medicine was. But they went, I went with them over to the army engineers, the real army engineers. And uh, they said, you know, we've got this great little village here. These people are really glad to see us. They really hated Saddam Hussein. And can't we get like them going again? You know, they uh, we came when we when we. When we ran over the, you know, when we uh, conquered the airport, we ran right through their village. We made a big mess. And they're not even mad at us. They said, it was worth it to get rid of that bomb, you know, so can't we help them? And the Army engineers go, no, no, we can't help them. It's not because we don't want to help them; because we are barely able to. We only have the material to sustain the U.S. fighting force, which is obviously our mission. You know, it was like when I flew up to Baghdad from Kuwait. I was in this great big, uh, 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 you know, this this huge freight thing, you know, army uh, a cargo plane. A great big ramp on the back and they're doing these hot landings they go bam and they land and they throw the gate open while the plane is still moving and it's come to a halt for about five minutes before they take off again and it's me and a fire engine that is on this plane and the ramp comes down and there's a soldier standing there and he got an M16 in one hand and he's going the fuck do we want with a fire engine? We don't have any water Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligence Square podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at IntelligenceSquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.